everybody, welcome to the second conversation of this beautiful year, 2021. You know, just another one of those years. Storm- We're off to a bang and start. Stormings of the Capitol, impeachments, double impeachments of President Trump. We've got new strains of the coronavirus from Brazil and Britain, so that's fun. You know, it's just going to be uh, another year for we, the faithful people of God, to trust and to pray and to worship, and to love. And for Alexis and I, we uh, have embraced a way of being in this world that is uh, counterintuitive. You know, in our last conversation, we talked about little things that we're doing to get us through 2021 and to embrace 2021. And one of those things is uh, a filter word. And my filter word for this year is the word joy. And I really kind of wrestled with the Lord on that for quite some time. Just because 2020 was such a bomb, like a bomb trying to destroy joy. But the Lord was really showing me that um, our joy is rooted in things beyond this world and in uh, realities that are so much more powerful than what we see externally in our circumstances. And so I actually have been meditating uh, on a number of different points around this this big idea of 2021 being a year of deep, unchanging, resonant, I would say also multiplying joy. I want my mm-hmm. wife to be joyful. I want my kids to be joyful. I want my church and my friends to be joyful. Dear friend, dear listener, <laughs> I want you to be joyful. And something very, very, as with all things in the kingdom of God, something very counterintuitive has really... Um, taken hold of my mind. The big idea for our conversation today is living a cruciform life. The cruciform life. Now, cruciform is a technical term. I learned it in seminary. So if anything, at least you'll be able to sound smart next time you're having coffee with a friend. (laughs) Hey, what do you think about the cruciform life, man? And they're going to be like, what does that mean? You'll be able to feel smarter, so you're welcome. <laughs> uh, the cruciform life, in its most basic definition, is a life formed by the cross of Jesus. It is a life of self-denial. Uh, it is a life that views suffering as part and parcel of God's process in our souls to shape us and to form us. And the counterintuitive aspect of the cruciform life is that it is actually a pathway to joy. Cruciformity, the cross-shaped life, is actually a joy-filled, peace-filled life. And the longing that we all have for contentment from the Christian perspective, that is from the teachings of Jesus, contentment can only come through a crucified life, through a detachment to the a detachment from the desires that drive us, the worldly desires, and a death to the flesh that consumes us. And so this life and this way of Jesus is is formed in us as we follow him, as we obey him, uh, as we suffer in some measure, in some small measure as he suffered, and he makes us more like him. And I'm pretty certain Though Jesus was a man acquainted with grief, I think he was also the most content Mm. and peaceful presence. I think that Jesus would have been hilarious to be around. I think the man would have been a joke teller and a joy-filled human being. 
And yet his life was just, you know, rocked with profound suffering that none of us can really even imagine. So I'm really, I'm really making this an emphasis here uh, through January and making it a deep meditation on what is this cruciformity and how am I devoting myself to this way of being? And so, you know, we have to ask, how in the world can this work? Um, how is talking about losing yourself when the mantra around us is, you've got to find yourself to flourish? How is the idea of dying and embracing suffering in some measure and giving up our desires, how in the world can that produce joy? Everything that is given to us across every other medium, every other message flies in the face of this cruciformity of life leading to joy. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. It really, I mean, it really does fly in the face of the message of this world flies in the face of the life that Jesus lived and how um, he practiced his way of living. And if we're looking to Jesus, um, that message of the world has to be buried, take a put back away. Seat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, in some situations, I wouldn't even say t- take a back seat. I would say it's like needs to get out of the car. You almost have to die to it. You yeah. might say, there you go. <laughs> um, and it's true. I mean, there's so much talk right now about the loss of religious liberty going on. Um, we saw so much uh, perfectly last week with the, you know, charging of the Capitol and just the riots and, um, you know, just the brutality that we saw last week. Um, all of that was this pursuit of pursuing, um, you know, their desires and what they wanted. We want this president and, and really, uh, their grasping for power and their overpowering of anyone that was resisting their way, um, was just this picture of when we're fighting and going after those things that we want for, you know, what we're perceiving as the good life, we actually can harm one another. And honestly, we can destroy one another. And so we see with the kingdom of God, like we've talked about before, it's like this upside down way. It's counterintuitive to live is to die. To be great is to serve, Uh, you know, in weakness, there is strength. Um, the unseen are seen, you know, so on and so forth. And so um, the way of Jesus is counterintuitive and it's opposite of what we see displayed on our phones and our TV screens, on our computer screens. That might be a, a helpful pointer just to to ruminate on recognizing that your your soul is being shaped by messages mm-hmm. and that the message of Jesus is, it is completely counter. Whatever you're hearing and reading on in the self-help books and the various programs of um, happiness, as Thomas Keating called them, uh, you're taking that in and you, you do have to step back and assess, oh, am I joyful as I've been practicing the pursuit of finding myself and fulfilling all of my dreams and desires? Am I a happy, joyful person? Mm-hmm. And if we can be honest with the results, the fruit of a life focused on self, and serving self and going after self and recognize that, oh, maybe that isn't actually producing joy. It opens the door a little more. It kind of opens our ear a little more and helps us lean into the words of Jesus a little bit easier. Um, 
Cruciformity is a complex idea. It's a difficult idea to get our head around. We want to kind of distill it. I mean, what is cruciformity? What is death to self? Dallas Willard actually has this little book entitled Life Without Lack, and he writes about cruciformity and the death to self in in a powerful way. He says, death to self is submitting all your desires to God. This abandonment of the self to God is the way to experience the abundance in God. It means that I'm God's hands. We are content for him. Excuse me. It means that I am in God's hands and we are content for him to take charge of the outcomes. And in that posture, we make way for him to live in us and be with us in order to achieve what is best for us and for others far beyond anything we can even imagine. So I just want to say right off the bat, like death to self Though we're using words like death, dying, you know, obviously those are dark, heavy words. Yeah, suffering. Um, It's actually not this dreary, you know, terrible life. Cruciformity is actually embracing a life of hope. It's embracing power and joy. And it honestly believes that until all, until all and not just me are flourishing to their greatest degree, then personal flourishing can exist. That's such a sea change in the cultural narrative, and it's really a paradigm shift in our minds. Until my joy is rooted in bringing joy to my sphere of influence, until the people that I am closest with, my closest contacts, whether that be spouse, family, friends, church, work environment, until those around me are exceedingly joyful and experiencing the highest flourishing, my joy is limited. That's a paradigm shift, but it's maybe one of the most important paradigm shifts that we all have to labor at in all of our relationships uh, to develop a mature cruciformity of life. Yeah. So said another way, the cruciform life finds its joy in expanding and intensifying the joy of those that we've been sent to. So really the cruciform way is about the other. It's not looking at ourselves, and it's looking to the other. Yeah, I think we have to be honest. This is hard. <laughs> like I'm sitting here having this conversation with my wife and I'm like, am I living this? Am I an example of this mm. in some measure? Yeah. Uh, and I want to mature in this. The cruciform life finds its joy in expanding and intensifying the joy of those we've been sent to. Wow. What a great way to spend 2021 though. I'm encouraged by that. Mm-hmm. Dillard, goes on to say that Jesus gave himself up in faith, certain that he would rise again and that the kernel of wheat that fell to the ground would bring forth abundant fruit. Now that's powerful because Jesus was able to say, okay, the death that I'm going to endure, you know, there's going to be the seed that goes into the ground that's going to bear fruit. And that's where we, when we were talking about the cruciform life, not just being this dark, like heavy thing, that there's actually hope to be found in it. The hope is that this death to self will produce fruit that is abundant and it will bring others in and it will cause others to flourish. And we will flourish in that as well. Yeah. I mean, he gave himself up in faith mm-hmm. is what Willard says. He, he was believing that something better would come from mm-hmm. his death. Yeah. The cruciform life is a life of faith. And it's a life of faith in what we cannot see. And so it leans not on our own understanding. It's acknowledging God in what we're doing and it's committing to him. 
it's letting emerge out of the soil, you know, where that, that seed's gone into the ground. It's letting that emerge and it's trusting that what's going to emerge is what the Father wills. I think it's so um, imperative as followers of Jesus that we, we really slow down and, and heed his words. He literally said to, to each one of us, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. You know, at the crux of the Christian message um, is not dream fulfillment, although God does give us dreams. And at the crux of the Christian message and the call to discipleship is not the unfolding of our desires as we've designed them being fulfilled and met, the words of our king are, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. That's just the hardest thing. Is, it is so, yeah, Jesus is so want, jarring. Yeah, we want this good life. And um, especially for Americans, you know, we, we've been sold this bill of goods that we get to have a certain life and we have expectations that don't align with this kingdom way that Jesus is talking about. And so it's really hard to even grasp what losing our life means in order to gain it. And I think what's scary is we can see so clearly what the bill of goods creates. Mm -hmm. You know, people storming capitals yeah. are people saying, give me my bill of goods mm -hmm. and I will overpower you with violence. And kill people. To have, to have my way. So the words of Jesus, he's not a depressing fellow. He, he sees the heart of humanity and he knows that the human heart bent on self uh, is a dangerous place to be. Mm -hmm. And it's a depressing place to be. And so I think we hear his words here, at least I'm hearing them, even in the middle of this conversation, Dan, if you want to be my disciple and I want you to be my disciple, your first foot forward in following me is a, is a step of self-denial. I want you to lay down your dreams. I want you to take all the desires you have. And as my wife was quoting from Proverbs 3, I want you to lean not on your own understanding. You're my son. You're my kid. I want you to trust me. I have dreams and desires for you that you can't comprehend. Like a little kid and a father just trying to explain to them Disneyland when they've never been there, right? And they just think it's a long car ride. <laughs> That's what's happening here. In and, many ways, just thinking back on my life and, you know, not going the traditional route that, you know, we are all are told, you know, there's certain, certain things you should do. In you mean certain for you things. as a woman? For me as a woman. Oh, yeah. And just, yeah. you know, we're told like, go to college and, and then, you know, get married and get established and then have your kids. And I didn't do any of that. Um, Wait, I mean, and those are good things. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. in, in no way am I diminishing that. Many people have taken that route and they're thriving and they love Jesus. So this is just my own personal story, but um, you know, I didn't do any of that. I got married when I was 19 and then Dan and I proceeded to have our three kids in three and a half years. And by 24, I have these three kids. And then at 25, we moved to Seattle to replant a church and all during that time, you know, I have these little, these little babies and these toddlers, and then they're growing up into elementary years and 
you know, especially in Seattle, there were just some conversations that I'd have with people, you know, who weren't in the church or young women you know, in young, the church too. Yeah. I was going to say young women in the church as well, but just the idea of not having like done something with my life was kind of the, the thought, like what, what are you doing with your life? And isn't this just the most empty, awful thing? And I realized that, um, there was a lot of death to self during that season. And, you know, obviously there's still death to self right now, but there was a lot of dying to um, myself in that season and embracing obscurity, embracing this hidden, this hidden life, so to speak. Um, but there was this fruit that I was trusting was going to be born through the life trajectory that I chose to follow Jesus in. And I know that I was walking in obedience with Jesus. And so there was this, this part of me that is like, yeah, I am setting aside that. I am dying to myself in this situation. And yeah, I am embracing this life of obscurity. And no, I don't actually know what I'm going to do with my future, but I'm entrusting myself to the Father that He loves me and that I'm walking in obedience to Him. And yeah, it's hard to be on 24-7 with little kids and you know, mommy, will you get me a snack? Mommy, will you get me a snack? Mommy, will you play and this a, game with and me? And a husband who's like, Lex, 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 Lex. <laughs> you're definitely not my child, but you know, you're just on for those of you who are mothers, like, you know, that, that sense of being on, and there is a death to self in that. But now, you know, my kids, my kids are teenagers and, you know, we're really starting to see that, that place where it's like, wow, the demands aren't there. And now, the Lord has like invited me into this new stage of life where I'm um, being able to delight and die to self in a different way. But I am seeing the fruit that is um, that is being produced from that time that came from those seeds that I planted at that time. I'm seeing the fruit now in the lives of my children and honestly in the lives of our home. Oh man, yeah. I, you know, all of us have different circumstances. Some of us are single parents and you're not able to stay home. And, and you know, many, many women in, in today's uh, cultural environment are working and that's beautiful. They're stay at home dads, it's absolutely beautiful. What we do know is that the sacrifice that my wife made uh, if you haven't met our children, it's it was the many years, I, I think, of her dying to self, dying to all these young, aggressive Seattle women saying, you should be going to school. Why are you at home? With, what are you doing with your life? Her dying to those moments and staying focused with, with our kids, that my kids, they're just, I think that's some of the joy that we get to live in now. And we couldn't have known that when they were three. You know, and when my heart was breaking, she comes home from a coffee with a particular young woman and she's just kind of tears in her eyes saying, what am I doing with my life? I'm just at home with these kids. And, and we had to ache and pain through that. She had to ache and pain through that. But now the fruit, like the fruit is, it is spread so wide and it is so abundant and it's so rich and we get to eat from it every single day with our teenage kids. And as we're sending them off, you know, and we really did shape a worldview in them that is is counter and I think needed for healing in this world. And really as followers of Jesus, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what he did. And he embodied the cruciformed life. Mm -hmm. Jesus saved you and saved me. And he saved the world through a literal life formed and finished by the cross, by death. Yeah. Jesus let go of all of his heavenly glory and he dwelt in dirt. It's I 
the longer I meditate on the incarnation, <laughs> I can't get my head around the creator of a trillion suns and a billion, billion universes with all of that expansive power and wisdom and glory and honor within the Trinitarian Godhead, eternal perfection and love and adoration saying, out of love, I will dwell among that which I have created. It's just incomprehensible. Yeah. Jesus literally let go of power and became the weakest. He allowed himself in every sense to become powerless over those that were overpowering him to get their dream life, to get their vision of the good life. He was silent when he was accused and he was actually innocent when I think lots of times when we're accused, we're actually guilty, even though we're trying to defend ourselves. He was rich, infinitely rich, but he lived in an impoverished way to identify with us and to, to show us a different way. And I don't want this to be heavy handed or, or hard sounding, but the modern Western church, you know, I'm just not certain that we are on the way of Jesus if cruciformity isn't at the center of our thinking. And I know that that has been a real issue for me. Uh, a lack of cruciformity in my worldview as a Christian, you read the Bible without a cruciform lens and suddenly the Bible becomes this seven steps to my dream life fulfillment. And it's not. The Bible is about Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus and us becoming like Jesus. And so we need to read those prayers that Jesus prayed and those admonitions, ask and you will receive seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Those passages need to be read through a cruciformed perspective. Mm -hmm. As Jesus read his Old Testament through a cruciformed perspective. It's funny because those texts often, you know, in, in the past, and I'd say still so today, we either read it through our own individual lens and circumstances. So ask and you shall receive, you know, we instantly go to, okay, how's, how am I being benefited? Um, and it'd just be interesting to start going, okay, with this cruciform lens and this way of living, I want to read these texts in light of what is asking you shall receive? Like, what does that actually look like for the other with me dying for the other? Yeah, it's a, again, friends, this is a paradigm shift. It's a sea change. It's, it really is, um, it's massive and it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of practice. And as I said, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very immature in this. Um, but I keep reminding myself as I set out here into 2021, whatever comes down the pike here in these next few months, hopefully Jesus returning. <laughs> but I keep reminding myself, Jesus didn't lay down his life just for the sake of dying. And so I am one of those people that, you know, my personality can go dark pretty quick. And you can just take on this, I'm a Christian I'm suffering, I'm dying just for the sake of dying. That's weird. That's really strange. Like that, no, that is not what Jesus died for. He died out of love for the other to see the other flourish, that, namely you and I. So my cruciformity, whatever it may be, dying to the image of the self that I want people to perceive, dying to certain desires and moments and comforts and pleasures is the laying down of a life that is motivated by love. And I just, I'm really taken right now with this kind of imagery from my marriage and our family and my wife and those many, many years of dying to self and the tremendous fruit that that has produced. And that happens in every stream of life. Mm -hmm. And like Jesus, Jesus as a human had to believe that his father was gonna work good. You know, when he cried out, why have you forsaken me on the cross? He, as a human, 
felt everything being lost. But undergirding that sense of human loss was a faith that his supernatural, miraculous father was going to bear out true. Um, in many ways that God's goodness would be vindicated in the awfulness. Yeah. And he had to go through that death, not seeing resurrection, but just trusting that it would be there. And so we won't lay down ourselves unless we, unless we're doing it out of love and we won't die to self unless we believe that there's going to be resurrected good that comes from it. And that is an act of pure faith. And the only way to begin living this way is one decision at a time, moment by moment, day by day. We get these exciting kind of motivated moments in our Christian life where we're like, yes, cruciform life, I'm in. Uh, but it's actually just the smallest decisions of death to self that add up over time to bear such great fruit. Yeah, it really takes practice and experience. It's like that, like Dan was saying, that moment by moment practice and experience. Um, the cruciform life is formed passively and actively. There's this, um, just this twofold to it where it's like entrusting ourselves to the father, but also an action that's required on our part. You know, first Peter 419 says that, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So in that text right there, you see this passive committing ourselves to the father and trusting their faithful creator. But then you see this active piece of, and continue to do good. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think there's, I mean, boy, that's a dense, we threw in a bunch of of verses here that we've been meditating on and talking about to wrap up our conversation. And that first Peter 419, I'm just rereading it again. Those who suffer according to God's will. mm -hmm. uh, There's a whole world of theological dilemma there. Those who suffer according to God's will. There's a passive reality that God According to his will, I, some would say, depending on which theological spectrum you come from, some would say God initiates and engineers the suffering. I don't fall into that camp too much anymore. Uh, I think God is much more wise in that he allows the sufferings of this world and of our lives to shape us. But those who suffer, Peter's pretty clear, some suffer according to God's will. There's this passive, like, I'm not going to get out of this. But in that, as my wife just said, what you do is you actively commit yourself to this faithful creator and you continue to do good. That's a real death to self. You know, I've been smitten with St. Paul, the great church planter, the apostle Paul, uh, just a man of, of passion, a man of brilliance, uh, a man of intelligence. And I, I literally can't wait to meet him and, Right now in our Lectio Divina journals, um, there's been a number of passages where we've been looking at his conversion in Acts 9 and Acts 22 and just meditating on it. And the day that Paul was saved by Jesus, confronted on the road to Damascus, Jesus did not say to him, Paul, you're going to change the world by planting churches. I've chosen you, buddy. Um, The words of Jesus to Paul were, and I will show you how much you must suffer for my namesake. And that takes me aback a little bit. The day one salvation call of one of the greatest and most influential figures in human history wasn't your dreams are all going to be fulfilled now that, now that you're saved. It was, 
your suffering is going to change the world, Paul. And when you follow Paul's life, you see a man who believed. He believed in eternity. And he knew that the mustard seeds that he was planting were going to bear fruit for generations to come. And he endured horrific suffering in obedience to Jesus, in dying to self, in casting aside all of his his merits that he had in the world, his religious expertise, his intelligence. And he proclaimed the cross and he lived according to the cross, a cruciform life. As you follow Paul through the trajectory of his life, some of his last words to his young protege, Timothy, were, I am now being poured out as a drink offering. Everything about Paul's life was an offering to God for the sake of others. And I do think that while Paul suffered, his entire epistle to the Philippian church, the church in Philippi, has been titled through the history by theologians and commentators as an epistle of joy. Mm-hmm. He wrote from prison to the Philippian community, this, this man physically dying wrote this epistle that just over and over and over, he, would, he commanded the Philippian church, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And it was the whole of his life, guys. Paul didn't have like, okay, I've died to self. Now it's dream living, right? His whole life was centered around God using him and using those sufferings. Oh, that's hard. Sometimes I think that's where we trip ourselves up too, is we want this like three simple steps to death to self and then like <laughs> resurrection comes. But we forget that our entire existence is this death to self in this slow cumbersome, sometimes awkward process. And, um, it really, you know, is our entire life. It takes our entire life to our death. And honestly, that requires this moment by moment, again, this moment by moment willingness and a decision, this choice to partner with the Lord. But it's also not this doom and gloom. Our life sucks forever. And we're just going to be like, oh man, you know, we just are all dying to self here. And, you know, there is this joy because we see fruit comes from that. There's fruit that comes from it. Mm. And honestly, we really and truly become who we are in Jesus through that process. And again, in the words of Jesus, to find yourself, you must lose yourself Mm. just as Jesus said. Yeah. I want to encourage you, you know, crucifixion, it was ugly, we have this kind of distilled version, this movie version of crucifixion or gold crosses around our necks. It may feel right now like your life is just cumbersome and a complete, awkward, humiliating mess. Mm. And that's cruciformity, friend. <laughs> you are right where God has you according to his will. And so you can commit your way to him. You know, in the act of act, that is the choice to intentionally die to self, There's just, the Bible is replete. The New Testament in particular is so full of these admonitions. Ephesians 5, Paul says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Remember, we're doing this as his loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul says, as God's child, follow the child, Jesus of Nazareth, who gave himself up in the name of love for all mm-hmm. and, and offer your life as a sacrifice. Paul picks up on that same sacrificial theme in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. Every morning when I get up and I do my times of silence in the mornings, I begin my times of silence saying, Father, I offer you my heart, my mind, my soul, and the entirety of my body right now as a living sacrifice. Fill me, do with me as you will. Romans 8, 13, Paul got very aggressive. He said, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul was like, you need to murder that old self. You need to take the reins and get a hold of that old self by the power of the Holy Spirit and put it to death. Again, it comes back to intentional choices in the moment. You know, this active cruciformity can come in a very, you know, various ways in our life through actively choosing how we're going to use our finances, you know, how we're going to spend our money and where we're going to give and what we're going to do with it. And, and I would say first and foremost is to recognize actually it's not even our money. It's the Lord's money that he's given us. But there is this sense with giving, um, there is cost to ourselves, but there's also this opportunity to receive from the abundance that is found in Jesus that really no amount of money can buy. You know, we can actively live this cruciform life in our speech. We stop manipulating people with our words. We actually choose to be silent in situations where we'd more likely want to speak up and say something and push our point and that kind of thing. But we can say in our speech, like in this moment, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to choose to listen and I'm not going to push and argue my way. Mm -hmm. And we often see, you know, Jesus choosing different moments, um, you know, silence in the face of adversity and he entrusts himself to the father. And so we can follow in the way of Jesus. We can actively, this is probably the most pointed place that we oh, actively, sure. you know, live this cruciform life is in our relationships, yeah. you know, in friendships, in marriage relationships, you know, if you're raising community. kids in community within the church, in the workplace, it's like, all of this life is built around the relationships that we have with people. And there is definitely a death to self that happens in those relationships. Let's wrap it up, friends. You know, the cruciform life, it's long, it's lifelong, awkward, difficult. It's decision by decision by decision. But I think what you need to be encouraged with, what my wife and I are encouraged with this year, 2021 impeachments, capital stormings, new strains of the coronavirus, you know, all the things that we can look at, everything that we've already been facing, house of cards of control, blown over like a hurricane, all of it, right? You and I have been sent into a very specific group of people. And I'd like you to just bring them to your mind right now. Bring friends, spouse, coworkers, enemies, strangers, the annoying guy at work. Bring, bring the circle of influence that God has specifically put you into contact with, bring them into your mind and then just very gently ask the Holy Spirit, what would it look like for me to die for them tomorrow? What would it look like? What would my life look like if I laid it down for them? Mm-hmm. That, that friend is the pathway to cruciformity. That is the pathway to becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. And ultimately for the joy set before him, he endured the cross It is for the joy set before you this year, friend. It is for the joy set before you that God has sent you to to die for the other, 
And so let's chew on this for the rest of the year. I know that that's what my wife and I will be doing. We'll be asking constantly, hopefully, prayerfully, what does cruciformity look like in my life today for the people that I've been sent to? Where is it that I'm just clinging to, battling for, clamoring for what I define the good life as and just going for it and just laying that down before him? And the desires of the, of the flesh in this world, this year practicing a deeper uh, crucifixion of those desires so that the true self, who we truly are, the essence of who we are in Jesus as God the Father's children can go forth into this world loving it, healing it, caring for it, blessing it. Soon and very soon, friends, it's all going to be over and we truly will be eternally resurrected uh, with the King. We love you guys. Shalom, friends. Shalom. Shalom.